coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A. This is a good example of a coming surge. That indeed is happening. We're now hitting about 80,000 new cases a day. We were down in the 12,000 or so. We're also seeing an increase in hospitalizations to about 20,000 new hospitalizations a day, about 400-ish or so deaths a day. So we are by no means out of the woods. Even though many people in the U.S. have some protection from COVID-19 from a combination of vaccinations, boosters, and mask wearing, new subvariants can change a person's ability to fight off infections. We've moved from Omicron to BA2 and BA2 subvariants, and those are hyper contagious. Uh, right now in the U.S., about 60% or so of all of our new cases are, are BA2, and almost 40% of that is BA2 12.1, which is, as I say, a hyper contagious variant. So if you're not wearing a mask, if you're not boosted, if you're not distancing and you're exposed to somebody with this, you're, you're gonna get infected. Welcome everyone to Mayo Clinic q and I'm your host, Dr. Helena Gazelka. We're recording this podcast on Friday, May the 13th, 2022. Cases of COVID-19 are on the rise again as the Omicron subvariants have spread across the United States. But thankfully, deaths due to COVID are not rising at the same rate, thanks to vaccinations and available treatments. Here with us to give us our COVID-19 update is vaccine and virology expert, Dr. Greg Poland from Mayo Clinic. Welcome, Greg. Good morning, Helena. Wonderful to see you again. It's been a little bit since we've it met. Has. Yeah, we're doing these about every two weeks or so now. Well, since I mentioned it, Greg, tell us a little bit about this rapid rise in new cases and hospitalizations in the U.S. So this is interesting, Helena. I, I went back and checked on our predictions on this podcast over the last three months. We have nailed it every time. And we have warned our audience, and this is a good example of a coming surge. That indeed is happening. We have, today's Friday, May, May 13th, as you mentioned, and we're now hitting about 80,000 new cases a day. We were down in the 12,000 or so. <clears throat> so these have more than quadrupled. We're also seeing an increase in hospitalizations to about 20,000 new hospitalizations a day, about 400-ish or so deaths a day. So we are by no means out of the woods. And, and what's driving this, as we've mentioned in past shows, is people pretending that the pandemic is over and not wearing masks. That's one thing. The second is waning immunity from our vaccines. So those who are eligible for a booster should get a booster. And far less than half who are eligible have done that. And finally, the third piece of all of this is that we're experiencing new variants, which is what happens when people don't wear masks and get infected. The You've predicted that too, Greg. The virus will mutate. That's what these RNA viruses do. And so we've moved from Omicron to BA2 and BA2 subvariants, hmm. and those are hyper contagious. Uh, right now in the US, about 60% or so of all of our new cases are, are BA2, 
And almost 40% of that is BA2 12.1, which is, as I say, a hyper contagious variant. So if you're not wearing a mask, if you're not boosted, if, if you're not distancing and you're uh, you know, exposed to somebody with this, you're, you're gonna get infected. Greg, what about other coming variants? Well, so one of them that uh, we're really concerned about and keeping a sharp eye on is what's happening in South Africa. Here, they had low immunization rates, but after Delta and then Omicron, very high case rates. So you would think there would be a lot of population immunity. BA4 and BA5 escape, not entirely, but, but very efficiently escape that immunity. And so they're having a major surge with BA4 and BA5, okay. driving up cases, hospitalizations, deaths. We can expect that, just like Omicron started in South Africa, we can expect that will come on the heels of these BA2 subvariants. And Greg, you talked about milestones, and we reached a terrible milestone mm -hmm. this week. In fact, yesterday, President Biden ordered flags uh, lowered to half staff because of the deaths. It's uh, it's it's tragic, Helena. I, I think of the cases that I've seen. I think of the deaths. I literally could sit down and cry to say, how do we get this message across? You know, the estimate is that at least, at least a third, and I'm going to guess closer to a half, of those deaths were entirely preventable. But when people believe, contrary to the data, that masks don't work or that you don't need to wear them uh, or that vaccines don't work, these tragedies happen seemingly one family after another. And you know, I don't know about you, but the cases I've seen every single time, I hear the same thing. Well, I never thought it could be this bad. I never thought it would result in, you know, fill in the blank for a complication. And yet, you know, I feel like you and I have talked nonstop about the need for these mitigation measures. So it's, it's a very difficult and sad milestone to be at. Greg, when you talk about numbers, I'm curious about something. There are a lot of people doing testing at home now, including Mayo Clinic employees, if they uh, suspect infection. Um, and so reporting is less, less as well. So how does that affect our understanding of the COVID um, infectious numbers? Yeah, that's a, that's a keen and insightful question that you asked, Helena, uh, which is no doubt why you asked it. But <laughs> um, it, it, it materially degrades our situational awareness. So, you know, when we, we can't, I can't tell you for a given community, for a given state, I used to be able to, but I can't tell you now because the majority of the testing being done, as you point out, is testing at home or some people not bothering to test at all because they don't want to quarantine or they don't want to know or they don't want anybody else to know. And, and this is problematic. In addition, it means that we lose our ability to understand what's called genetic epidemiology, the ability to trace how these variants are moving, how fast they're moving, and whether they're changing and evolving into yet different subvariants or new variants. We've lost that ability now. Wow. Um, 
Tell me, Greg, about what we know now about long COVID and the consequences of having had a COVID infection. This is, this is something that, again, we've talked about and, and we predicted that following these large waves, we would see, if you will, a pandemic of complications. We've seen that on the mental health side. Um, you know, having uh, COVID that lands you in the hospital, the effect on your brain, a recent paper I thought put it well, is the equivalent of aging 20 years. Even with mild COVID, uh, a very excellent study showing two to 4% shrinkage of the gray matter, a startling increase in cardiovascular complications, a 40% increase in diabetes. And so, you know, the, if we lump all that into long COVID, we're seeing estimates, and the best point estimate I've seen is that about 45% of people who have COVID severe enough to end up in the hospital end up with long COVID. About 30 to 35% of people, even who have mild COVID, end up with end organ complications or symptoms that plague them for as long as a year or two out. And that's as far as we can look right now. So we don't know how long it will last. And these are life altering changes for some of these people. Uh, it's devastating to watch this happen. I feel as though I've talked to many fellow um, employees of Mayo Clinic and also just friends, colleagues who have had COVID and have had been profoundly fatigued afterward yeah. is one of the primary things that I've heard. That and prolonged um, loss of sense of smell yes. and taste. Now, those are not as significant as what you're talking about, but they certainly affect your life. They're still, forward. they still, yeah, they still degrade the quality of your life. And uh, you're right that the, the profound fatigue, uh, what people describe as brain fog, you know, mm -hmm. that, that inhibits your enjoyment of life, perhaps your ability to work, depending on how severe it is. These are consequential uh, consequences of, of catching COVID and of not being protected against it. Uh, in, in this regard, I, I grieve, I grieve over the state of masking in the U.S., uh, you know, as as we all know, that became a political symbol. It's gone now. It's, it's, it's like gone. everywhere. It's gone, but it is it is profoundly affecting individuals and, and families. As as you know, you've probably flown to some of our professional meetings yes. that I have. You know, myself and other Mayo physicians are the only ones right. on the airplane wearing a mask, which yep. it just shocks me that that could be the case. I mean. How do you break through that sort of lack of knowledge or, or deliberate, I don't want to know, I don't want to, you know, wear it and trade for a long-term complication of COVID? No, thank you. I mean, I've kind of joked with people, but I wasn't really joking that even on an airplane before COVID, I don't like to sit that close to people and breathe the same air necessarily. So, so now it's like the habit of wearing a mask in that situation. And, as and well there's, some, there's some very nice papers out uh, showing that any indoor activity like that where you're gathering in groups is a hazard uh, mm -hmm. because of this. So, you know, until we take this seriously, People are going to continue, uh, very unfortunately, to get sick, to be hospitalized, and even die. 
until we take this seriously and we put masks back on and we get vaccines. Okay, let's talk about that. Boosters, getting a fourth no. booster. Greg, what's the latest on that and what should the timing be? So uh, anybody over the age of 12 who's moderately to severely immunocompromised can get a booster. And all adults over the age of 50 can get a, a booster. And the opt optimal timing of that is four months or so after your last dose. Okay. Um, you know, I know people uh, and their experience is probably like mine. I didn't have much reaction to the first dose, had a moderate reaction to the second dose, pretty mild to the third dose. I'm due now for my uh, booster because uh, I'm just barely over the age of 50. <laughs> And people describe very little in the way of reactogenicity to that. So definitely getting that booster is a help. Now, so people don't misunderstand, and we have been very transparent in talking about this. When you look at the data in Israel, people who got, people over age 60 who got a fourth dose, they were protected against death and severe disease by three and a half fold uh, better protection than people who did not get the booster. They only looked over six weeks, but it lasted that six weeks. The protection against mild infection only lasted about eight weeks. So these rapidly wane in the face of these new variants, but it does offer protection and very likely, Helena, uh, I'll, make, I'll go out on a limb here and make a prediction. I think by sometime summer, fall time, we're going to see a variant focused booster. And it will be a big push to, again, convince people you need to get this. Interesting. What about kids under five? What's the latest on vaccines? That's, that one's really a frustration, isn't it? Especially it is. for those of us that have grandkids. Right. That, that have children. So above five, they, they can of course get the Pfizer vaccine. Moderna has put in their application for an EUA to immunize younger. Pfizer is holding off on that because they the two doses did not protect well enough. And so they've given in that trial a third dose and it will be probably late summer, early fall before we have the results of that trial. So, uh, you know, the manufacturers are working hard on developing the data. On the other hand, I'm, I am glad, I'm not surprised, FDA is holding a firm line here. You need to show efficacy and you need to show safety before we're going to allow you to immunize these children. I think they will meet those goals and that will be important. Well, I will be looking forward to that because I have grandchildren in that category. Same with me. <laughs> Um, Greg, I want to ask you something on a kind of a different topic, but related. What's the latest and um, the import of the bird or avian flu? And if it weren't for COVID distracting us from such topics, would it be a bigger deal? I, I, I don't think so, Helena, in, in this regard. So the, the import of avian flu right now is, if you will, agriculture and economic. Okay. So in the U.S., this has affected birds in 34 states and about 37 million poultry have had to be destroyed. I'm talking about now in, in the US. 
remember that we did went through this in 2015 and about 50 million birds were destroyed. So this may be our largest uh, highly pathogenic avian influenza outbreak yet. Now, what about on the human side? There's been one person confirmed in Colorado who developed this and survived, one person in the UK. The concern is a potential one. This virus can mutate just like other viruses. Will it mutate to more easily be transmitted to humans? That would be a disaster on top of COVID. That has not happened yet. And so the advice at this point is no need for fear or panic, but would not handle sick wildlife. By the way, foxes have also gotten infected oh, and died from this. And, and really a, a shame because of the dramatic comeback has been that it's affecting bald eagles too. And uh, eagles don't survive this very well. So uh, certainly, you know, don't handle wild birds, don't handle um, excrement from birds if you're cleaning up or try to feed them out of your hand or anything like that. Um, it doesn't have an effect on um, consumption as long as you cook it properly. And so that's why FDA and USDA inspect these poultry producers. And that's why they've had to destroy so many birds. Okay. I'm curious though, Greg, is, is avian flu something you would routinely test someone for if they came in ill? So how would you know there was well, only one case in Colorado and one yeah, case in the UK? That, that's, that's a good point. And it, it raises the concern that probably that's an underestimate. Mm -hmm. The only reason that individual got tested is because they were slaughtering the birds oh, who, okay. who, had, who were sick. And then this, this man got sick. And so, you know, they, they sent the specimen to USDA and CDC and got it tested. Oh, that makes good sense. The rest of the story. Yeah, the rest of the story. Stay tuned. <laughs> well, Greg, any last words you'd like to share with our listeners today? I, I, I really want to make the point, and I know I sound like a broken record here, but, you know, I've gotten three to five calls a day. It seems like everybody you know is, is getting COVID. Wearing a proper mask properly, being up to date and boosted, maintaining social distancing, which doesn't mean you can't enjoy life and do things with people. Better outdoors, and we're in a weather pattern right now where we can do that. But you know, my plea would be, you don't want to be a statistic here. Wear your mask, wear them properly. For goodness sakes, indoors and, and on airplanes, please wear a mask and get boosted. That's the only way if we do this, if all of us take it as our civil responsibility to do this around the world, we will get a handle on this. But you know, we're facing a fifth surge. We're into the third year of this. We've got to take this seriously. And we mentioned earlier the number of deaths. I think it hit a million in the United States yeah. this week and 15 million worldwide, the World Health Organization. You know, that, that's a good point. You know, the, the, those numbers are almost certainly an underestimate. I think they're pretty close in the US. They're probably a little greater than 1 million, but you know, we have a robust system that captures that. That's right. not true globally. 
And so the WHO made a good faith estimate that that true number is probably um, somewhere in the 10 to 25 million range with a point estimate of 15 million. That's a lot of lives lost. That's a lot of benefits this world has lost by losing these people to a disease we can prevent, at least in the U.S., with free vaccine and a 50-cent mask. Good point. Well, thank you, Greg, for being here today to update us. My pleasure. Our thanks to Dr. Greg Poland, virology and vaccine expert at Mayo Clinic, for being here with us today to provide us with COVID-19 updates. I hope that you learned something. I know that I did. And we wish each of you a wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org, then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.